Pass First point guard and Trailblazers reporter Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. And now, also on YouTube. We are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube by Halloween. And by we, I mean I am trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Halloween, but I need your help to get there. Uh, We're up over 900, less than 100 away. So that means if you are listening to this podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening in your podcast feed, subscribe. Go if 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 you're not on YouTube, go to YouTube right now, search Lockdown Blazers and subscribe to the show. If you are watching the show on YouTube, hi, it's nice. I'm really happy to have you here. Go ahead and mash that subscribe button. Uh, We're going to get there. I can feel it, but I need your help to, I need your help to get to a thousand. 90 of you roughly, give or take, maybe 95. I haven't checked, but somewhere in the 95, 90 to 95 range. Subscribe on YouTube. Let's do it. Today's episode is also a mailbag episode, a special delivery mailbag. We do a mailbag episode each week. We answer listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Uh, just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. Uh, helps if you tag it as mailbag, but uh, I will, I'll, I'll see it and, and save it in my, in my little Word doc. Or you can watch my Twitter feed when a day of the show, I will send out a tweet uh, soliciting uh, questions. You respond to that tweet. I will do my best to get you in a show or save it for a future show. If you're not a Twitter user, for someone who doesn't tweet, you can just email me lockdownblazerspod at gmail.com. That's the two ways to do it. That's lockdownblazerspod at gmail.com. Let me, let me repeat that for you. Two ways to do it. Um, like I said, we do this every week. It's a ton of fun. So if you want to get involved in a future one, hit me up at either of those spots. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays mailbag from your ears. So without further ado, let's get into it. The first question comes from Isaac at Isaac is a bucket on Twitter who asks... Is Dame's poor shooting the downfall of the Blazers' season so far, or is it more than that? And this is what we're going to talk about in the first segment. A lot of people are worried about Damian Lillard's shooting. He's 2 for 24 from deep, 18 for 50 from the floor. Um, He's missed some good looks. Like, it's undeniable. He's bricked some shots he can make. Um... Some sidesteps, some catch and shoots, um, you know, not just the the one that would have sent it into overtime against the Kings. That was one of the harder ones. We're talking easy, clean ones that that even non-Damian Lords can make. He's a superhuman. He he shoots, you know, he's one of the best shooters in the league. Certainly one of the best di- sort of difficult three-point shooters in the league. Um, the, you know, he's a career 30, almost 38% three-point shooter. He, and that's like after having some down years early in the in this early in his career. Like he's um he has over the last three or four years transformed himself into really true truly, truly one of the great shooters in the league, um, trending towards being one of the great shooters in the history of the league. So him, him bricking, him going two for 24 has caught everybody's attention. But to answer the sort of the basic question from Isaac, it's not, it's not the the only downfall, but it is, it has so many domino effects. Like, um, you know, I don't think the Blazers played pretty much any defense against the Clippers, but, uh, you know, if Dame, but the offense, didn't allow them to be in the fight because they might be a bad defensive team, but like be able to get into shootouts, right? They're going to be a good enough offensive team on many nights to be competitive. Uh, and I think Dame's um, offensive struggles, uh, just they, they have ripple effects because if he can't get it going as a, as a long range bomber, then the defenses don't have to have to drag out as far or they're, or they're just not, they don't get punished for when they make mistakes. And then the pick and roll with him and use of Nurkic is less potent because he isn't as dangerous. You know, we're talking like he makes two or three, you're stepping 
stepping two or three feet forward and you're helping and you don't want to leave him and all these things. And then when he's moving off the ball, he's, he's, you know, it's more attention. The people are going to stay more attached to him. They're still going to, he's still going to get the respect. He's one of the great shooters in the league, but we're, I'm, I'm talking a half a step. And that's maybe the difference in the Blazers getting, having the paint clogged and turning the ball over a whole bunch and just like looking, I'm scoring 86 points against the Los Angeles Clippers on Monday night. Like it feeds into so many things. So I think it's a huge deal. Um, in terms of like them, you know, they, they probably beat the Kings if he has a normal shooting night, even if he makes two of, of, of the nine threes that he missed, I I think they, they, they maybe beat the Kings. Like he had two in the final two minutes that are just wide open looks. Um, even before the three, he missed at the buzzer, just like clean, wide open sidesteppers that he can really, really hit. It is without a doubt, a problem, a notable thing, an issue. And, and Dame says that he said today at practice that he feels like he's playing well. He's just missing shots. If he's hurt, and that could be a thing. Like he, he could be hiding some sort of nagging injury. He's not going to tell us. He's not going to use that as an excuse. Um, if I get a chance to on Wednesday's game against the Kings, uh, I will, I'll straight up ask him if he has any nagging injuries, but he, he's not going to use that as an excuse. Um, he's, you know, he, he, he dealt with that uh, abdominal thing at the beginning of last season, and he dealt with it again at the Olympics in Tokyo. Um, it was reported. And, and I think he, he said as much on the record, but like, you know, if, if that's still a thing, he's, he's not going to use that as an excuse. So even asking him or saying that, like, if he's playing, he's healthy. That's, that's just how, how he rolls, but it's been a big deal. Um, it isn't the only thing wrong with the Blazers. Like their transition defense is a mess. Um, and they've had some trouble just with their defensive rotations, just being sharp. Sometimes they played hard enough to kind of cover it up sometimes, but when they don't have that requisite effort, like they did against the Clippers, their sloppy rotations get exposed and they just get, they get beat up and that's what happens. So I think Dame shooting is the biggest story, but not the only downfall of the season though far thus far. Uh, Hotai Kim at Hotai underscore Kim 97 on Twitter asks, does Dame need to go on the Kobe regimen and get a thousand shots up to get used to the new ball? Because some of the misses against the Clippers were bad. You know, Dame mentioned this after the first game. He's he doesn't really believe in that. Um, you know, because like you just gotta kind of regiment yourself out. Um, after game one, getting a th- you know getting a thousand shots up and crushing yourself in the gym is maybe not um, for what Dame's gonna be asked to do this year. Maybe not a responsible way to treat this, right? Like maybe um, he says he's gonna get his work in. He's a guy who works. If you stay after practice at a Blazer, at, if you go to Blazer practice and they open up the, to media after practice, Dame is there getting his shots in, getting his work in. Um, he's not someone who doesn't work. There are certain, there's definitely NBA vets who I've seen who just, when the practice ends, they just peace out. Dame is not one of those guys. And he, he sort of sets the tone in that manner, but, um, you know, he's not going to do that. No. Um, and I, and I, quite frankly, I think, um, there is more concern of overwork to kind of get right. And one of the reasons he said he didn't want to get a thousand shots up is because you can end up obsessing over it. Now, if he has another shooting night, a bad shooting night against, uh, the Grizzlies on Wednesday, we can talk. Oh, it's like, Kim. we can talk. Um, Joshua Arias at JW Arias 25 on Twitter asks, my question is about Dame shooting. Do you think ball movement, two feet in the paint and then pass has some growing pain for Dame in terms of finding his rhythm and his shots? Is it too sporadic for him? He's used to, he's used to using every possession to keep his defenders guessing. To further clarify, I view Dame's game like a pitcher in baseball setting up his pitches. For Dame, he used to a great half-court game and doesn't like to get out in transition. He likes setting up his opponent and striking with either blowing by them or getting a shot off. There is some truth to, to that, but he was among the league's best in as a catch and sh- as a spot up catch and shoot guy last year like he's just an elite shooter he didn't have many he, he's at lower attempts but like i believe uh, according to b-ball impact he was in the 99th percentile as a spot up shooter he's an elite shooter 
It's it is this is not a system thing. This is a Dame thing. He's either bricking because he's in a shooting slump, or he's he has some physical limitations, and he's not going to probably not going to share. Although I'll try to well I'll try to see if I can sneak it out of him. Um, like it'll it's 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 a big deal. It's it's been a big it's been a problem. The team is set up, as I said after the game against uh, the Clippers. The team is designed for Dame to be a star, not a pretty good player, not a good player, but a superstar, like an awesome player. He needs to be awesome for them to have a chance. Most nights he hasn't been that, and that's a that's that's where they're at, right? Like they they've probably lost. You know, they would have probably the Clippers just smoked the Blazers. Um, a Dame shooting game could have kept them in it, um, but it was, um, they might've lost anyways, just because of how bad they were um, and how bad other people were. And, you know, Rocco and Nurk were also bad in that game, et cetera, et cetera. But like, um, it's, it's been a, it's a big deal. Like, I think they lost to the Kings because of his poor shooting and he, he's the engine. He makes so much stuff go. It's a big deal, but it's not the only deal. And, um, I'm willing to, at this point, chalk it up to three bad games. And if it continues on Wednesday and Friday and it's a five and we're into, you know, week two of the season and then we're, we're, you know, through five games. Yeah. We could, we could smash the panic button. I will on, on Fridays, you know, the, the, podcast to record after Friday's game, we will smash the panic button. No problem. I'll be happy to. I'll be happy to because it'll be time to say, okay, something's wrong. But let's give Dame the the patience and the grace he deserves and say, let's let's see what he does these next couple games before before we freak out while noting that in the first three games, he's been bad. He has two threes in three games. Um, dude averaged almost five makes or over four makes a game last year from three. Like he's, he can shoot it. All right, more questions in the second segment, but first, let's talk about sweat block wipes. It's the number one selling any perspirant product on amazon.com right now. So, listen, this it's it's just a solution if you're a heavy perspirer or someone who sweats. It can stop excessive sweat for up to 7 days per use. It's doctor created and doctor recommended. It's stronger than most clinical antiperspirants. And so it's also just simple to use. Um, like if, if this is a solution that you might need or a problem that you're facing, it's, this could be a simple, a simple thing to use. Take a sweat block, sweat block, wipe, wipe it on your underarms, on your chest, on your back, wherever you're going to perspire and then go to bed, wake up, take a shower and go about your day with confidence. So much confident that you can wear with you what you want and not worry about perspiration and, uh, sweat block backs that they are confident in their product, giving you the dry shirt guarantee. If sweat block doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. So why not try it out? If this is, if this sounds like something you need or someone that you love needs, why not try it out? See if it's a solution for you because it's a solution for a lot of folks. Over 13,000 reviews on Amazon. And like I said, one of the best selling products, not just right now, but over the last decade, it's been popular. So why don't you, why don't you see if it could work for you? Go to sweatblock.com, use the promo code locked on and get 20% off your order. Like I said, it's also available at Amazon as well as at CVS. All right. That music you're hearing is from Dre Slaps. Shout out to Dre. Thanks so much for making the music. You can find a link to Dre's work and his merchandise in the episode description for this episode. Support local music. Thank you, Dre, Portland's own. Also, thank you, dear listener, for making this podcast your first listen every day. It's free five days a week wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. It's the only Daily Trailblazers podcast. If you want to know what's happening with the team and, and, and stay abreast of all things every day of the week, this is the place to do it. Let's keep it rolling on the special delivery mailbag. Our next question comes from Adam 
who asks, I don't expect you to be able to read Nurk's mind, but as someone who's been behind the curtains with the team for years, I'm hoping you have some insight. What in your mind would make Nurk happy this season besides winning? <laughs> okay, so I know that like behind the curtain is a euphemism, but, but um, pre-COVID, the back hallway, they like put this up. I think back before they hired Bruce Ely as the team photographer and he took a photo of Wesley Matthews with like um, post Achilles injury in the back. And so then they put up like literal curtains in the back hallway. So you couldn't see from one end of the hallway back to where the locker room is and back to where like the medical staff and et cetera is. So like literally to get to the locker room, you had to go behind a curtain. So uh, there you go, Adam. I've I've smashed that curtain out of my way many a time. Um, I don't really know what would make Nurk happy. I think, you know, there, like so much of this offseason was about Nurk. You know, he was he was kind of shedding himself of, of what his of the burden of having to play for Terry Stotts, which was nonsense because when he got here in 2017, he was so, so thankful for Stotts. Things happen. They're adults, you know, but relationships deteriorate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I'm not saying that he wasn't like didn't feel burdened, but like, I mean, maybe I am saying that, but like. At one point, Nurk was extremely happy to play for Terry. Um, you know, things change. Um, but, you know, there was Nurk was so happy to play in Chauncey Billups' system. He was excited for a bigger role, more touches, more responsibility, uh, uh, being a bigger ask on defense, and, you know, for sort of what he's what he's going to be asked to do. And he was he was really, really ready for it. And he just hasn't been very good. Um, he, he had a really bad first three quarters against the Kings and then a kick-ass fourth quarter. He was awesome in that fourth quarter. Do not get it twisted. He was very, very good and helped spur the comeback. Um, wasn't particularly good against the Suns, but uh, the the Blazers didn't need him. Like it just, it just wasn't a Nurk game. And sometimes your teammates go nuts. Sometimes, you know, Dame or sometimes CJ and Norm go nuts in the first half and the game gets, you know, blown. It gets, it's just over before you have a chance to contribute. Um, I thought Nurk played okay in that game, not great, but then he was bad against the Clippers, like just bad. Six turnovers, you know, four points, 10 boards, um, dropping easy passes, throwing bad passes, bad, 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 like, sure. And so then it's like, this guy asked for all this and what is he doing? And there's this outrage. And I, I, I hear you. I feel you. I understand the frustrations with Nurk. Um, but it, it's, it's early on, um, that game against the Clippers, it's either like the sign of how terrible this team is and things to come and we'll point back oh we knew in game three or it's or it's just a blowout these happen you have stinkers throughout the year um i'm willing to wager that this team kind of gets right and um, i'm willing to be patient with them to get right um i still think they're going to be a pretty good and like a um you know something like you know a a team that avoids the play-in tournament i wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all in the west like I, i still think they're that they're that they have that level of talent assuming some uh pretty good health throughout the season so um yeah like i think all of those things, like that's that's what would make Nurk happy, some success, right? But like, some of it is unknowable. Does Nurk need to score? Does Nurk need the ball? Does Nurk need all these things? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think the winning will will cover up a lot of it. But I I do think Nurk wants responsibility. I think he was frustrated with having to go in the playoffs, having to guard Nikola Jokic one on one, and getting just barbecued sometimes and not getting not getting more help there i think he was mad with not getting more post touches but all of those things you earn by playing well you don't get more post touches i mean maybe you do but you don't you shouldn't get more post touches if you just if you're making bad mistakes if you're if you're playing if you're playing crappy basketball so to me this is like 
I don't know what would make Nurk happy. I know number one is team success. Like he will be, he will be, he will be on good behavior if the team is winning. Um, he just seems like a guy that when things start to go, when the boat starts to tip, like he's he's quick in that lifeboat. Like he is, um, he's bailing fast. And I think one of those frustrations with Nurk is that he bails so fast. It's hard to get him, you know, you got to put the, I've used the, the phrase, put a, put a key in his back. Um, like you got to kind of wind him up, get him going. Like, um, because he just doesn't always bring it with the focus and the sort of energy every night. Um, and, I think winning helps you, um, can help him stay with that focus. Um, I don't mean this just like an attack on Nurk because he's played three, he's played, you know, some bad games, but it really has been reminding me of a classic Seth Curry phrase. We've got a bunch of sassy front runners over there and a little worried that Yusuf Nurk is just a sassy front runner. More people are concerned about Nurk. 304 Raiders and Blazers fan for life at WVRN4L on Twitter asks, is it too early to start trade Nurk? Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's just too early. Um, I do think there's a time when Nurk heading into a contract year that you get serious at the trade deadline. And depending on where the team is, you could have a serious and realistic discussion about whether trading Nurk or holding on to him and letting him walk or paying him like the decision, having to make that let him walk or pay him decision without trading him uh becomes real it's but it's not on october 26th or when you're listening to this october 27th um it's not now it it is it is indeed too early all right let's come back in the third segment and close out the show with a few more of your questions on this glorious special delivery mailbag but first Let's talk about Bill Bar, the best tasting protein bar in the market. That's what it is. That's what they're doing. That's what they've been doing. I've been telling you about Bill Bar for a, a long time. Uh, I've also been a, a, a Bill Bar customer myself for many moons. Uh, my personal flavor flavors are peanut butter brownie and uh, cookies and cream. But whatever your palate, whatever your taste buds, you'll find something you like. Super chocolatey flavors, uh, the, some fruit flavors, and some new limited time flavors, some seasonal flavors. Like they got some fun Halloween flavors right now, some some haunted treats. And they've also got things like churro puff and cherry lime and uh, and strawberry puff and some some short timers that are, if you go to build.com, you can find what's around now and, and figure out what you like and then order more from there. But they're not just the best tasting protein bar ever. And they are that. I, I truly believe it. They also pack a real punch, peep the macros, 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories, four to five grams of sugar, and no more than five grams of net carbs. All tasty, all healthy. Go get yourself some. Go to built.com and use that promo code LOCKED15. You get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers. Our next question comes from Liam from NEP who asks, who wins in a game of one-on-1v1? to 21 cj or dame call your own fouls ones and twos take it out after a miss winner's ball after a winner's ball after a miss um i would assume that means a winner's ball after a make my bad on the editing liam should have should have added that one before i read it but my bad um uh, i think if they really went at it 
Dame because of the strength, but CJ's a really good one-on-one player. Um, I asked a friend and they said CJ, so I lean Dame, they lean CJ. Uh, but yeah, Dame because of his strength, like he's, he's really strong, his deceleration to slow down is really valuable in ones. Um, so I, I would go Dame, but CJ's got really, he's got a better in-between game than Dame. Dame's a much better finisher and a much better, um, not much better, but a better, probably deep shooter than CJ, but CJ can, CJ's pull up game is nice so um if he gets rolling um it could be it could be troublesome but i'll go dame because of a strength advantage liam also asked if guys ever do this stuff after practice yeah um you wouldn't see stars do it just because of like the workload you just you don't need to you don't need to get reps, but it wouldn't be uncommon in the past to see uh, Al Farouk Aminu and Evan Turner and Jake Lehman and Mo Harkless or um, Wade Baldwin, uh, you know, guys at the end of the bench, um, you know, or young guys. Like, it wouldn't be uncommon to see sort of like, you know, Nazir Little going out and, and playing one-on-one. Typically, it wouldn't just be like straight up ones to 21. You would like set rules like, okay, you only get three dribbles and you start in the post or you start at the top of the key You get and you get three dribbles. Um, you'll see variations of, of ones. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not uncommon, but it certainly wouldn't be like all-star level players just because uh, the NBA is really long. You got to take care of your body. Next question comes from blazer B at C squatch 88 on Twitter, who asks the team can't seem to pick an identity out yet. What do you think will be best for the team in, in the long run? As far as players sticking to certain roles. I kind of think these are different things. The team identity. I talked about this in a previous episode. Did, uh, Chauncey Billups wants them to be a team that plays extremely hard every night. Like one of the, one of those teams that's just like a, a dog to play against because they play so hard and, and, and unselfish on both ends. That means sharing the ball a lot and then playing defense, flying around, covering for each other, covering each other's mistakes. That's what they want their identity be to be. Um, but identity and roles aren't the same thing. Like I think your role is the roles are pretty clear. Damon CJ are still going to be, have big control of the offense. Anthony Simons is going to have big control of that second unit. And then everyone kind of gets in where they fit in and they want to make sure they get extra touches for norm and get him actions. And they want to get touches for, for use of Nurkic. And if you're not one of those uh, five dudes I just mentioned, you kind of fill in the cracks. Um, and they, and the fill in the cracks guys are guys who are good at filling in the cracks like Rocco and, uh, and Larry Nance and, and Cody Zeller and, and Nazir little like that's it those roles make sense but if there's one person who i think could have a different role it's larry nance and in fact brad schmidt at underscore brad underscore schmidt on twitter who asks why does larry nance seem so invisible what did the Cavs do to get him more involved and lovebug starsky at de la sol uno asks a similar question do you envision nance having a bigger role especially with the second unit he has the tools to be a bigger presence or do you think he's slowly acclimating to being on the new team i think the answer is the second part. Uh, Lovebug Starsky's just acclimating to a new team. Three games in, trying to figure out where you fit and all those things. But what the Cavs did, like the main difference in where Larry Nance is sort of getting used as a blazer versus a Cav is that he just had more playmaking chances. Um, he's just had the ball in his hands a little bit more. His, 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 if you just look at his like usage rate, he's using the same possessions, but his assist rate is way lower just because he's not getting a chance to set guys up. Um, usage is, is you know, uh, shots and, and foul shots. It's like how many possessions you end personally but um his his and his per 36 numbers if you just look at a per minute basis he played way more minutes in cleveland last year all in limited games but he played 30 minutes a night like 
the big difference is um, he's just he's just not getting enough chances to be a playmaker. And I feel like, to me, that's where I'd like to see him. I want to see him on the ball at the top of the key and then run stuff for him. And as a dribble handoff option, he's done it a little bit. Um, I thought he didn't play enough in game one. He didn't play very well, so I can understand why he didn't play very much. But um, I, I would like to see more minutes and just more actions run through Nance. The way they run offense through Nurk, I want to see them run offense through Nance. Um, I, I, I think he's capable of it. He can do it. Uh, they're giving the ball to to they're trying to with that second unit they're trying to push more and run more and they're letting ant handle a lot and i want to see ant off the ball and let nance be the guy who handles put the ball in his hands more the biggest difference is just larry nance it's, it isn't statistically it's stylistically him at the top of the key orchestrating is is the big difference in what he did at his peak when he was really really good in cleveland averaging over three assists a game than what he's doing now he just needs more chances to to make plays because he's a connector he's not a you know his best skill so far as the blazers just spot up shooting that's not what he is he's a connector he's got to like be a guy who can go from from this action to that action based on what larry can do and i'd like to to me that's like i would like to see larry have more opportunities to do that because that's when he was at his best in, in, in in cleveland next question comes from pdf paranormal at bob underscore deager on twitter that's pdf paranormal msw got the got the credentials in there um shout out to getting a master's degree uh pdf normal asks i am someone who's fairly ignorant about defensive x's and o's but this current scheme seems to have the big at the top of the key a lot thus leaving the paint open for dunks and layups can you explain what we're trying to do on d and why it's not working similar question was asked by kevin via email and dare at Derek louie on twitter all asking kind of like what are we seeing and and can you help me kind of see, see the what 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 this sort of new scheme is i'll say this it's hard to do it in a podcast form and um because of copyright issues i can't really play you clips here on youtube necessarily um so i'm going to do my best uh but maybe if you're still confused we could we uh, email me and maybe we could we could clear it up a little bit um i could point you in the direction of 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 some things that might help uh but so here's the biggest difference. They are trying to play what what you'll hear the people use the term at the level of the screen. That means instead of dropping back with the big man who's guarding the screen, let's let's say it's just Yusuf Nurkic. We'll use the starters as an example. Uh, instead of having Yusuf Nurkic drop back below the screen, say four or five steps below the screen, and kind of like um, have the have the guard run over the top of the screen and chase the guy um, towards the rim and towards Yusuf Nurkic, so they're kind of meeting together. Yusuf Nurkic is coming at the level of the screen, so his his toe are at the same height as the screen is so when the ball comes when the guy comes around the screen they're meeting Yusuf Nurkic he stops corrals it ends cuts off the drive there but that means that the guy who is guarding the ball Damian Lillard let's say has to get back and recover to his man and then there's this in-between time where Nurk has to leave the ball handler and recover to the roller now here's the big difference when you send two to the ball, when you show on those screens, uh, show like show your body, show up high, um, the the weak side guy, the guy in the opposite corner has to become the low man. That means they pull into the corner and they tag the roller at the rim, which but it's hard to you. You can't come early because then it's illegal defense you kind of kind of you got to time your rotation so you catch the guy in the paint you're defending him you you stop him there um but you know everyone knows the sort of rotations are coming there people are good at sort of timing against those rotations and it takes a lot to be sharp um 
and you don't want to leave that far side corner because if you, you know, um, good point guards, including De'Aaron Fox did this a couple times, saw the rotation come early, saw that low man who's usually a small guy come all the way in under the rim and then found Harrison Barnes in the opposite corner. So you kind of got to time it so you're not getting caught. And then when you're the low man, you got to scramble back out. So that sort of interchange between who is the low man, and for the Blazers, it's often a dude who's six foot three and under. That's just how the roster is. I didn't do it. Neither did Chauncey Billups. But the scheme is is, is for a, a, usually a small guy to be in that spot um, just because of who's on the court. Um and then they got to scramble out. And if the ball is moving, they got to scramble out, maybe not to their original assignment, but then X out, which would be to the other, you know, whoever helped on their assignment, they've got to get back out and get out to the wing. So um, what you're kind of seeing is what, what the big difference is, is what instead of being the big man dropped at the pick and roll, they're up higher. And because they're up higher, you have to help. You have to be more aggressive in your help. That's the big difference. The best way to, to see this is to watch um, what how the big guy defends and then watch the opposite side corner who is in the lane because that's who's helping. Those are your help defenders. Um, who who comes all the way into the lane and then where do they go once they're already in? So you got to watch, all, like once you recognize what's happening on the ball, watch the guys off the ball. That's the best way to, to see NBA defense. The best way to start understanding NBA defenses is watching what guys off the ball were doing. The whole sort of idea of playing drop coverage and and then this and this uh, scheme that Terry Stotts had implemented uh, his second season with the Blazers and they'd run since uh, the 2014-15 season is that, or excuse me, since the 2013-14 season is that um, you the drop coverage avoids rotations. So you stay home. Everybody stays home. That's the whole point. Um, and you only have to rotate if someone gets beat off the dribble. In the current defensive scheme, they are intentionally putting themselves into rotations to be a little more aggressive, to to kind of to make it a little harder. They're not particularly good at it right now. They'll get there, we think, or they'll be a they'll you know they'll improve a little bit. But that's kind of where we are. I hope that helped. Next question comes from Tom Cogswell at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter, who asks, how many games before Billups goes back to Stotts' schemes? Infinite, like an infinite number. He's going to do what he does. He's not, um, he's not going to roll, run back into drop coverage. Now they did show zone a little bit against the Clippers. Uh, they had a play where they, or two plays, I believe, in, in my notes, where they played drop coverage, where the big dropped on the pick and roll because it was a non-shooter in the pick and roll, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's like, um, and maybe they were just trying to switch up the coverage because they were getting shredded. Um, but he's not going to go back to that. He believes in this system. They're believing the system. Um, it wasn't like Stotts is right. Chauncey is wrong. It's like all of the dudes on the roster aren't very good at playing defense and you can run a couple different things. Not every single one of the dudes, but many, many of the dudes are not super good at defense. And so you can run a bunch of different schemes and you'll just, it'll be bad in a new way. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, everyone wants it to be so binary. Uh, Stotts versus Chauncey and, and was is Billups right or was Stotts right or is this that? It's, it can be, it's, it's just more nuanced than that. And so much of it is, is um, Jimmy's and Joe's and not X's and O's. Next question comes from Mobius, who asks, how long should the front office hold out on potential trades? Billups is getting his foothold on the roster, but to me, it's obvious that some of the pieces don't fit the philosophy. Is the front office willing to give Billups the help he needs? I I don't know what, you, what necessarily you mean by that. I feel like there's some subtext there that maybe I'm missing. Uh, 
they no one's going to get traded until December 15th. Um, December 15th is when players who signed uh, deals this offseason could be traded. And then January 15th, everyone in the league, um, guys who signed one-year deals this offseason, be eligible to be traded as well. So really, uh, trade season isn't going to start until December 15th, and it's not really going to heat up until the middle of January. But no, um, you got to figure out, you have to see more than three games before you bail on this. It is too early. In fact, that's why a lot of people ask trade questions and I just kicked them for this episode because um, let's get five games in. <laughs> let's get five games in and then worry about um, shuffling the deck because right now it like it just it's a situation that demands a little more patience. Like it just it just it just demands a little more patience. It's, um, you know, uh, you just we've seen, we just haven't seen enough of them to even know what fits and what doesn't fit. Right. Like, um, I think we have some ideas and we're forming those ideas, but, um, the best thing that they could do is collect a little more data than overreact to three games, including one game that may be an outlier stinker it might be foreboding, but I, it's, it's, Please, please be patient. I, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Um, not that I'm an anti-trade. Like the Blazers have been good at trades and good at making in-season trades. It's one of the things that um, Neil Olshay does best, but it's it's not now. Next question comes from Mark, who asks, what's the relationship between Dame and CJ using energy to generate more defensive stops and their offensive production? How do you talk about the net benefits to the team of them playing better team defense in a way that persuades them to marginally sacrifice on offense? Mark asks also asks if there's any models out there. I don't know about statistical models, but I've heard um, people smarter than me suggest, like NBA people, people working the league, suggest that they believe and, and teams believe uh, that dribbling is the most taxing part of an NBA player's job. Like if you put the on-ball on offensive creation is, is really exhausting and maybe the way to, to sort of lessen a guy's load is to take him off the ball a little bit and then you can ask him to do more on defense so the idea is that I think I think here's what the sell is um quite frankly is that you say you have to play this hard on defense it is this is required and because we are demanding this level of effort on defense because that is the requisite for us to be a good team and that is you know um if if you believe everything that Chauncey Billups has preached isn't just isn't just lip service and you really do believe he's going to put an address on it and hold people accountable and all that stuff um uh and and Chauncey had really good quotes following the Clippers game he had, he was strong in saying do you want to do the right stuff that you need to win good quote awesome to hear but if you believe the stuff he says has like plays out in the games um then it is you say you have to play this hard on defense and because we're asking you to do this much on defense you just have to take a a marginal step back on offense and that means off play off the ball a little bit more let ant do his thing let norm do his thing give nurk a few touches because you know at crunch time we're going to give you the ball and you're going to you're going to get to send us home but we've got to be smart about what how we use you in the first few quarters um it it's just it is a it is a tough needle to thread, but if you believe if you are willing to trust Chauncey's word that accountability, and particularly accountability on defense, is like part and parcel of his identity as a coach and exactly what who he's going to be as a coach, then you start there. This is what's required on defense, and to get to that point, here's what we'll do on the other end. Next question comes from Brandon Sprague at Brandon Sprague on Twitter, who asks, if you describe the Portland Trailblazers as a meal, which meal would they be? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I ran this by my family members, uh, my wife and (laughs) sister-in-law, and we all immediately came to the same conclusion. Lunch. 
They are not an indulgent, fun, fuel-for-your-day breakfast. They are not the type of meal that gets you going and sets you up. And they aren't a fancy dinner out. They are, to quote, <laughs> to quote a family member of mine, a meal without dessert. They are lunch. They are a sandwich. That's who they are right now. They're they're uh, they're they're just they're fine. They're fine and 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 um and a nice little breakup and a nice part of your day and 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 something that you probably enjoy. I'm a lunch guy. I love I love me a lunch. But um they aren't um they aren't the thing you're meeting up with with friends for. They're not a they are not a fancy brunch and they aren't your um they aren't your steak dinner yet. Uh they might be able to graduate beyond lunch, but right now everyone in this household said brunch or said lunch, excuse me. They're lunch right now, Brandon. Next question. The final question of the show comes from Joe at Blazers Joe on Twitter. Uh Blazers Joe asks, let's say we all give this new version of the team 20 games to get into a groove. Amen, Blazers Joe. Amen. That's why I close with this, because this is rational patience. Joe continues, what's the worst record they can have and still have a realistic shot at top six by the end of the season? I think eight and twelve is too far back. I don't. I don't. Um, coming into today, there were four, three teams in the West with winning records. Everyone else is one and two. It feels like the sky is falling here. It feels like the sky is falling in, in LA where both LA teams are one and two. It feels like the sky is falling in other, other parts like in De- places in Denver where they lost a home game to the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's, uh, they also lost tonight, but I was doing the standings before Tuesday night's games. Um, they're just not that far out of it. It's just, they could be eight and 12 and still recover and get sixth. Um, typically about 20, 25 games in the season. Uh, the, the standings have been close. Like the top 10 are, or now that there's 10, it's a little different, but like that, you know, the 10 teams usually became the eight teams. Now that there's a play in tournament, it's a little bit different, but typically about 25 games in it was set. And by 55 games, it was, and this is a story from Tom Haberstroh back in the day, if you want to go search for it, about 55 games in the league almost never changed and almost nothing changed in the top six teams. So there is a point in like March when it's like, okay, <laughs> maybe in February where it's like, cool, this is, this is what it is. Um, but eight and twelve through twenty games will it'll be bad. It'll feel bad. It won't be a good look. Um, it'll be a really bad start to the season, no doubt about it. Um, and it could have big domino effects in terms of trades and 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 attitudes and all these things. Um, you know, people lose their jobs for losing games in the league. It's it is just how it works. But I don't think eight and twelve is like a non is a team that is doomed. I just I absolutely do not think that. I absolutely do not think that. Um, where would I draw the line? I'm sure you're asking is like six and 14. I think they're, I think they're cooked at six and 14, eight and 12. They're in a bad spot and they got to rally, but I, I believe they can rally. Um, they've, you know, they've done it in the past. And even if you think that's like a coaching staff product, um, we have plenty of, of examples of this team getting right and, and making that late push. Um, you know, they've ended with some playoff, um, misery, right. But like, uh, that's we'll, we'll cross that bridge at a later point. Can they still get a top six seed if they're eight and twelve? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> they'd be better off if they were twelve and eight, though. I think we can all agree that is going to do it for today's show. Uh, 
like I said, if you want to get involved in a future mailbag at Mike G rich on Twitter and locked on blazers, pot at gmail.com are the addresses. Uh, I love doing mailbags. Um, we do them every, each and every week and I really, I really enjoy them. So it's, it's a good way to kind of figure out what's on people's mind, ask some off the wall questions and all those things. Um, we are, we've reached a point in the mailbag, just like the show is really popular and I really believe it, or I really appreciate it. Um, but I can't get everyone's questions every week. I used to be able to do it. I feel I, that that feels good. And it also feels bad. So if I missed your question this week, I'm going to save it. I'll try to get to it in the future. Um, but uh, Locked On Blazers is a bigger community than it once was. And I thank you so much for making it that. Um, that really, um, I, I truly, truly love you for it. So thanks, all y'all. Uh, like I said, subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. We're trying to get to a thousand subscribers by Halloween. Less than a hundred to go. Uh, we got about five days left. I need your help. Go to YouTube right now. If you're hearing my voice this late in the podcast, if you made it this far, go to YouTube right now. Subscribe to the show. Uh, Blazers play the Grizzlies on Wednesday night. Should be a really good game. Uh, heading into tonight's game, the Grizzlies had the number one offense and the and the. 30th ranked defense in the NBA, according to points allowed per possession. So expect a lot of points. They've been really good. They've been really good. Um, really, you know, two and one, some impressive wins. They they're only lost to the to the Lakers, who who were who were desperate for one. They beat the Clippers, to the team that just shellacked the Blazers. So should be a really fun game. We have a recap after that game in your feed. So check your feed on Thursday for a recap of Blazers Grizzlies, and then on Friday. Jason Quick of The Athletic is going to join the show, so make sure you do not miss that one. No one has been covering the team longer and better than Jason. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, a good friend of the show, and he is going to he's going to be an interview you don't want to miss, so make sure you come back Friday. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are too. Tell your friends about this podcast. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.